Hey there, welcome to episode 98 of Inbound Agency Journey. In this episode, Gray talks with Susan LaPlante Duby from Precision Marketing Group. Susan is the principal over there, and in the conversation, they dig into their agency story, how they got to be where they are today, specifically how they deliver value-based pricing to their clients, how they manage a remote team, and how they've gone through the process of documenting and really understanding the services that they're offering their clients. It's a great conversation, wide-ranging topics. You're really going to enjoy it. Before we hop into that conversation, a word from our sponsor, Do Inbound. This is project and process management for inbound agency pros just like you. And one thing that Susan mentions in this podcast, which is really, really valuable for agencies, is the importance of listing all of your deliverables as a menu. Not presenting it to clients as a menu, but understanding it yourself and the operations that power them as a menu. That's a process that kind of takes some time. And it's something that we help you with here at Do Inbound through the onboarding process. So if you are thinking about how to become a more process-driven agency, head over to doinbound.com, check out what we've got to offer there. We'd love to set up a conversation with you and see how we can help you scale your agency through process and project management. Without further ado, let's jump into this conversation between Gray and Susan. Here we go. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. All right, welcome back to Inbound Agency Journey. This week, I have the pleasure of bringing on Susan LaPlante Dube. Susan, did I get your name right? You are so close, LaPlante Dube. I was, you know, I should have asked. That was that was the one thing I didn't check off my list ahead of time was confirm the last name pronunciation, and I I realized as I got to the end of that, I didn't know. So Susan LaPlante Dube. She is on the podcast this week from Precision Marketing Group. Susan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to bring you on. Um, and you and I, between the uh, between just the busyness of flipping over the calendar and the sickness that's going around here in early 2017, it's taken a little while for us to connect. But I'm really excited to bring you on and dig into your story, the agency that you guys have going on. So let's start there with Precision Marketing Group, um, PMG. Can you give us the story on, I know you guys have been around for quite a while, but but where did this come from? And, um, and then we'll dig into a little bit about the agency and go from there. Sure. So yeah, Precision Marketing Group's been around, um, we are celebrating 15 years this year. So we were founded in 2002. Um, and it, it came out of, I had left a corporate job. Um, where which I adored, but that was about 85% travel. Um, and I loved the consulting work I was doing for this company and um, just didn't want to do that kind of travel and said, you know what, I can do consulting work on a, on a smaller basis. I was working with global uh, corporations, do consulting work on a smaller basis and do my own thing. So that's kind of where Precision Marketing Group started. Nice. And we, 15, yeah, 15, 15 years is a long is, time. That's that is awesome. The uh, you know, there's those statistics on like small businesses, like ninety percent won't make it out of the first year, ninety five percent in year two, fifteen years. Like I believe the percentages are uh, are very very small. So that's awesome. But anyways, I cut you off. 
So let's, uh, I'd, I'd like to know kind of what the journey has been from where you started when inbound marketing is not even a term and that's, that's a sparkle in, in Brian and Darmesh's eye at that point in time. Um, but what's kind of the services transition and the story of, uh, of how you guys have come to where you are today? So, you know, my story starts a, a little bit even before starting a company because I went into marketing kicking and screaming. Um, I did not want to have anything to do with marketing. I thought the field was uh, too soft, um, a lot of event planning and, and making T-shirts. And I wanted to do something that really had tangible ties to a business. And I had a boss who, who felt that I really should be in marketing. And um, he took me under his wing and had me start the services marketing organization for a software company and really helped me see the, the connection between what marketing does and the impact on the business. So that has been a a big piece of when we founded uh, Precision Marketing Group to really make sure that we were always tying what we did back to the business results. And when we started, um, the bulk of, so I was a solo um, preneur at the time. Uh, I have a business partner now. We merged our businesses in 2006. And when the company started, I was doing a tremendous amount of um positioning. So helping people really understand their unique selling propositions, what are their core messages, how do they differentiate, um, how do they make the intangible tangible, how to package services so they seemed a little more tangible. Um, all things that we could do that were really helping tie towards lead generation. We didn't have all the awesome tools that that exist today to to um, really track and measure that. But as the company kind of grew and progressed and new tools were coming out, we started doing more work in, in online and digital and optimization and then later in social. And in 2008, we actually got involved with HubSpot. We, had a, we became a customer and brought one of our customers on board um, with HubSpot. And I remember when he when the client called, he said, I, I heard about this tool and he started describing what it does. And I said, oh, you have been sold a bill of goods. And he's like, that's what I was afraid of. So I want you on the demo. And halfway through the demo, I said, you need to buy this. And, and our client was like, only if you help us implement it. Um, so that was in 2008 that we really started that kind of more structured and formalized inbound journey. Um, it was a client that had been with us since 2006, and they're actually still with us today. Wow. Wow. So you guys, uh, obviously, there in in Boston. Um, how early were you, uh, into the HubSpot partner program then? Well, there was no partner program. That's how I was early. Say that's that's pre-partner <laughs> program in 2008. So were you, did yeah. you come on early with them or was that not really a big part of the business until later on? So when we, they didn't really have a partner program and I think we were probably the third company that had, you know, that was going to be learning the software to help a client implement it. Um, and we actually, it, and also the product was dramatically different. It was a, it was a tiny product. There wasn't that that many features, but what it had was amazing for what was in the marketplace. Um, and through the course of you know the latter part of 2008 and 2009, we actually drank the Kool Aid, <laughs> really drank the Kool Aid, um, and moved every one of our clients over to the HubSpot platform. Um, which later we made adjustments in, in realizing it, you know, it's not necessarily the right fit for every client. Um, but our, it was the, the onboarding process was essentially sitting in a room um, with Pete Caputa 
for a couple of hours. Yep. Wow. Back in the day. Back so, in the day. So fast forward, I mean, obviously there's a ton of history that we could get into and, and probably talk all afternoon about, but um, kind of fast forward to where you guys are today. A couple of the things that, um, that are helpful to know about how different agencies are structured. Um, right now, in terms of team size at PMG, um, are you guys around 20? We, we have a team of 16 employees, and then we have 10 regular independent contractors that we pull in to help us expand and contract depending on where we're at with the business. Okay, awesome. That's super helpful to know kind of the team structure. And then with that structure, are the 16 um, in-house folks, are they all working in the same office building? Are you guys a remote team? How's that structured? 100% virtual, and we have been since the company was founded. Um, so we have team members in Florida, Georgia, Virginia, New Jersey, Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, um, all up and down the East Coast. Wow. So, so I mean, that's the way that we, our agency, Guava Box, and uh, do Inbound today. We've built those teams uh, primarily as a, as a remote company. Um but to think about that, so Guava Box starting in 2011 and just the way that we've seen the environment and support system for remote teams evolve in six years or whatever. I just can't, I'm, I'm trying to picture what this was like starting in 2002 and moving from there. I've got to believe you've seen just an incredible, like pretty much the entire shift to being able to work remote. What were, like, are there any funny stories from the early days of trying to make it work? How did you guys do calls and, and coordinate, or were you just meeting up in person? Obviously, I mean, I know that phones have been around since 2002, but, but I'm making, making it sound like it's the 1890s here. But, uh, but like, you're missing out on Slack, and it's pretty much like phone and email at that point, right? It was phone and email, and um, there were a couple of, of good instant messaging tools. There was a, a actually still is a product called Trillion um, that was a, a core piece of our kind of chat capabilities. We don't really use okay. that today anymore, but it's a great product. Um, yeah, it was really, you, you, you planned your time. You, you did a lot of email communication and then you got on the phone and lots of conference calls. Um, at the time, the remote team was, they were, we were all local to each other. Everyone still worked remotely, but we were all within the Massachusetts area. So it was very easy to pull people together and, and help build that team. But one of the benefits that's really, this has afforded us is um, we were able to get and, and continue to have really skilled, talented senior people because what they were looking for was the flexibility to be able to manage their lifestyle in a certain way um, and didn't want to be stuck in a corporate office and have to, you know, get up every day and, and dress in a certain way and drive somewhere. And as a result, we've been able to attract some strong senior talent um, that I think we would not have been able to attract in a, in a if we had everybody in the same place. Right. I think that is maybe the biggest definitely one of the biggest benefits of being remote is you're not limited to who's, who's around and also who wants the lifestyle of, uh, of having to be in an office every day in that corporate environment. Yeah. And we found our clients, you know, because of the nature of the, of our clients, which are uh, privately held companies, they run up to about 75 million in revenue, but owner and founder is typically still involved. Um, 
if they wanted to meet with us, they we were going to them. They weren't looking to come to an office. So we just, as we looked at the business structure, we said, why, why have that overhead? Um, and then, of course, as technology evolved, it just made it, it made it even easier and even better um, to be able to build a team uh, that's not physically in the same place. Right. Well, before we get into like maybe a client success story, I'm, I am curious, since you brought up clients, are there, so just from, uh, from what I've heard about you guys from other folks in the space, and then obviously from, from doing some research on the website ahead of our conversation, you guys kind of position inbound, uh, websites, the, the strategy and design piece and the HubSpot, um, management side of things, like three core services that you have. But in terms of the, the businesses who you're working with, is there like a, an industry or vertical that, or, or several of those that you kind of specialize in, or is it across the board within that kind of revenue range up to 75 million, but privately held companies? No, we, we really have a sweet spot in manufacturing and technology. Um, and, and especially where those two things uh, align, you know, technology for manufacturing companies, we have a, a big strength in manufacturing. And one of the things we like is we like the products that are challenging to sell that might be perceived as a commodity um, that where people really need help differentiating them. Um, and that happens a lot in manufacturing and technology. Uh, everybody starts to look the same. And so that's really been our that's really been our sweet spot and our specialty. Awesome, that's cool to hear. So, kind of in that vein, one of the questions we like to ask is um, just about our our recent success story. Um, can you describe a, a client win that you guys have had and kind of what those what the details look like? Yeah, and it's funny. My in thinking about this, Gray, prior to our conversation, my recent client success story actually starts back in. Um, 2006. Strangely, we had a client that we were working with that does um, conferencing software and solutions. And they were a client for almost four years. Um, and, and although, you know, you mentioned the services that we position in inbound and websites, and really the way we position the company is as an outsourced marketing department. So mm -hmm. for our clients, we are their marketing department. Uh, if they have someone in-house, they might have a marketing administrator, marketing coordinator. So we come in and do the whole strategy and all of the implementation. And so... Um, as, an, as the marketing department for this particular client, we were working with them for about four years, as I was saying, and it started becoming obvious that the way they wanted to work and what their needs were, they really needed to have someone in-house. And so we approached them. We explained that we thought this was a, the right transition time, not to be outsourcing their marketing, but instead to bring someone in-house. We helped them write the job posting and identify some candidates for the position. They brought all of their marketing in-house. Um, I want to say in 2011, and um, and then in December of 2015, I received a phone call. They were ready to take their marketing to the next level. Their in-house person had left, and they decided they were in a position to outsource everything again. Um, and so they came back to us. What was that? Four, four years after we'd worked with them for almost four years, they had four years with marketing in-house and then they came back to us. Um, and over the course of 2016, you know, we, as we were working with them, we had, there were a lot of changes. They acquired another company. We had a shift in our primary, um, primary contact within the organization. Um, a new person came on board and that's always kind of, 
uh, risky because people often want to bring their own people with them. Right. Um, but and then they had an internal they had a marketing coordinator on staff and that person left. And rather than at bringing that um back in-house, they've actually increased our retainer over time. Um, over the course of 2015, we, we doubled their traffic and doubled their, excuse me, 2016, doubled their traffic and doubled their leads. We, they had a 500% increase in Twitter followers. Um, they have more leads and are closing more business than they're able to keep up with right now. And, um, and I think that's because their retainer has increased is 50% higher than it was when they started back with us um, in December of 2015, because they just keep gaining confidence and excitement and, and don't want to bring it in house. And they continue to outsource more to us. Right. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's been a great, that to me, that's the best kind of success story where, you know, definitely it has to be about the numbers, but it really has to be about the people and the confidence that our team has built um, for this company and that the results they've been able to deliver are all, you know, leading to just continuing to grow that relationship. Right. Well, that kind of prompts a couple of follow-up questions on that, which is more about, um, how you guys position and, and price and deliver services as an outsource, like basically the outsourced uh, marketing department arm for a company who's in that situation. Um, are these, I guess, how do you deal with, hey, we want to, um, especially in the retainer space, they come and they say, hey, we want to do something different this month. And obviously, you're probably working through that strategically with them. Um, but there are changes that they want to make. Are your retainers a long-term retainer and then there's add-ons or does that amount get recalculated every month? How does that um, how does that relationship and the details there work when you're kind of serving as the entire outsourced marketing organization and they have new ideas or new requirements that, th that they want done on a monthly basis? So the, the truthful answer is it works differently for each client. One of our core values is flexibility. So if we have a client who says, look, this is the amount of money I can allocate to my marketing for this time period, I can't, you know, I just can't go outside of those parameters. Then, and and a new idea comes up or something new happens, what we'll do is we'll take a look at that budget or take a look at that month and make determinations of what we can pull out in order to replace the new work or the new ideas. So we'll do plans in 90-day increments and you know, in every nine, and, and most of those are kind of campaign driven. And every 90 days, we're re-looking at that, looking at new opportunities, looking at new ideas to bring to the table. And it might be, you know, there. The, I'd say there are core things that don't change. You know, once we commit to a volume of blogging, that will typically stay unless something dramatic needs to happen. Um, if we've committed to a monthly newsletter, that's typically going to stay. What Where you end up seeing the flexibility is, are we going to do another offer or are we really going to take um, all of those resources in promoting the six or seven offers we already have and really pushing those as opposed to creating new content? So um, we have other clients where their, what has been planned uh, as their monthly retainer, the work that's been planned, they don't want to lose that work and, and lose that kind of stream of activity. And so they'll add on to the retainer um, for new things that they want done. <clears throat> so right. it does vary. It's, re it's really about working with the client and understanding. One of the things we don't ever want to do is fit our client into a package that suits us and makes our life easier, but doesn't really suit them. And, and 
puts them in a structure that isn't really going to move the business forward. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's helpful to know how it works. And I think that that is, um, and that's, it's just very interesting to hear how every, every different agency works and things that work well for them. Obviously the, uh, kind of with the rise of agile and scrum, um, there are more and more agencies who are going to kind of the points-based system and you're not necessarily describing the points, the points-based system, but there's flexibility there to adjust on an ongoing basis. You're not locked into here's the way it's going to be for, for 12 months because you're 90 day, almost like 90 day, uh, campaigns or campaigns embedded within that. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And we're not a, we're not a huge fan of the points-based system. Um, I, I think people tend to back into what the value of each point is. What we've actually done instead is we've created a pricing configurator and we went through everything that we offer to a client. Um, we understood what it would take to actually deliver that. Um, in terms of hours, we understood what it would take to deliver that in terms of the level of resource, you know, how senior they needed to be, um, and the value that the client was getting from a particular deliverable. And we went through and we priced every one of our services. Um, and now we have a pricing configurator where we can go in very quickly and say, I need, you know, it's a little bit like a menu and since other agencies are listening, I don't really describe it this way to clients, but I can go in and, and say, I need three personas, I need five workflows, I need six offers, I need, you know, 24 blog posts and, and um, configure what the package will look like for whatever time period I'm doing it for. And every one of our account managers can do this. And so if the client says, oh, you know what, what could we do if, if we wanted to do this great new idea, what could we take out? It's simply a click of a button to see how we can get the budget aligned. And obviously we're doing that knowing there's certain things we'll never take out because we need it tied to the business goals. But um, we found that that's been the, the so it's value-based pricing. Um, not hourly, not points. It's value-based pricing, but the configurator has made that easier for us. Right. So I have two very specific follow-up questions where I'm essentially asking you to to give away your, your secret sauce here. So feel free to say, you know, I'm comfortable sharing this, not comfortable sharing this. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to ask them anyways, because this is what everyone's thinking right now. One is around the just the format of the configurator. So this is probably less secret sauce, but is that a tool that you guys have built? Is that a spreadsheet or is it just a document? How does that work? It is an incredibly complex um, Excel spreadsheet with macros and dependencies and things I don't understand. And we found a person, and I'm not even sure where the person exists or lives, <laughs> that was just like an Excel master and um, they they built it out for us. That That's awesome. Um, and then number two, and this is, I'm just going to ask for, for one example. Um, obviously everybody would love to know what are the whole details? Cause this, this comes up all the time, um, in our conversations with agencies that do inbound, but as an example, um, like building out a persona, what, what does it cost to add one persona? And there might be, uh, scaling factors where three personas is, is not just one persona times three, um, but are you comfortable sharing uh, sharing any information on that? The cost of building a persona, right? Yeah. Um, so we have we have personas set at seven fifty. Okay. Per persona, I think that's... and it's just one of those things that that it's it's a I think it's one of those things that 
as you look at the different services you offer, there are services that are more for, yes, personas are helpful for the client, but they're almost more for us as an agency um, and getting the client's agreement of who, who their customers are and making sure everybody's on the same page. Um, so that's why when you look at some things, you need to take into account how long will it take me, but also what's the true value to the customer for this. Well, I think especially in a situation that you guys are in where you are the marketing department, the outsourced marketing department, there's not necessarily an in-house team. Um, personas are still going to be helpful to the organization, still going to be helpful to the sales team. But but like you said, a lot of that value is for you who is going to be producing all of that content and, uh, and handling the marketing. So I think that, that makes a lot of sense. On the So let's go kind of away from that process and success story to the flip side. Um, and that is around uh, an area for improvement. When you look at an agency that's 15 years old, you've got between employees and contractors, 26 people on the team. What in, in 2017 here, what's high up on the priority list for improvement at, uh, at the agency? A couple things. One is streamlining and efficiency is the big buzzwords for us this year. Um, really making sure things like the pricing configurator, um, templates, really making sure that we have everything as streamlined and simple as possible so that our people can be efficient, um, that they're not out there doing, you know, we've, we've been doing this for the last couple of years, but kind of putting the icing on the cake of, of streamlining and efficiency is a big focus for 2017. Um, and, and part of that is driven by, yes, you know, quality of life and, and service delivery quality, but it's also driven by, um, driven by numbers. And so one of the other areas that we're very focused on is revenue per employee. Um, and really looking at some of those numbers uh, in terms of our billable employees and where we should be at from a revenue perspective, what we should be generating, what each what each employee should also be contributing. Um, those are the those are the big focuses for for at least the first half of 2017. Right. In terms of the so revenue for employee um, is something we've heard from from multiple agencies as one of the ratios or key numbers they're looking at. Is there a target that you guys are looking for? You know, we're using we're using some of the targets that that um, Drew McClellan from AMI or David yep. Baker from Recourses use, which is about one hundred and fifty thousand per employee. Right. It's it's been interesting. I've had a couple conversations with agency owners. Um, one who I spoke with here recently said, "Like we're shooting for one twenty five, and we just can't seem to get to that point." Um, and it's starting to walk through and figure out like how do we get there. As you try and figure out how to uh, how to hit the numbers that that you want to hit, what are are there any like key takeaways or things that you guys have realized so far in terms of trying to get to those efficiency numbers? So, uh, you know, we had a lot of learnings about this. We're very transparent within our organization. We share our, our numbers with our employees um, on a monthly basis and on a quarterly basis. We talk to them about these numbers, and and um, a couple of things that we have figured out. One is it's great to be trans, and this is a little bit not answering the question, but I think it's important as as people start thinking about numbers. I think it's great to be transparent. I think that it really helps people understand um, where the business is at and, and feel committed to it. But 
you can't be transparent without giving education on what these numbers mean and why they're important. Um, and so when you start talking about efficiency, people start panicking that they're, you know, that they're not billing enough or how many billable hours do I have? And, and it, it actually ended up being this, um, a rub within the company. So we just ask our, we ask everyone to track time. We ask them to track all of their time. I think that's the key thing when you're looking at efficiency. Um, because, and we need to understand if you're spending seven more hours with a client, because everything, you know, we all say whether it's points or value-based pricing, eventually things come back to an hour, you know, uh, hours and hourly rates. But if somebody's spending seven additional hours with a client that can't be billed, doesn't fit within the retainer, um, they, they, that's obviously an inefficiency, but it, it may not really be in the long run because it may be providing service that makes the retainer double in three months time. Um, so in, in looking at these numbers, I do think that the critical piece is time tracking because you have to know what your starting, what, what your starting basis is, um, what you're working with. And then you have to make sure you measure it every single, um, some, some metrics monthly, some metrics quarterly, but every single month. And we have a whole dashboard of our numbers that our accountant at the end of each month goes in and populates the dashboard so we can track over time uh, where improvements are and, and kind of see where the patterns are of where something might be starting to get out of whack. Yeah. Well, I think just that takeaway alone is that is one of the key points here is if you're not looking at the time spent, like if efficiency is about what did we get done in what period of time? You can't just ignore it. It's kind of in vogue to say, you know, we, we don't worry about hours. Hours isn't, and especially with the, um, with the rise of, of points-based pricing, like hours are not what we measure by, but, but ultimately we are humans. We are time bound. If you're not measuring by hours, you're kind of missing half of the efficiency equation. So you kind of need to look at that to figure out where do we, even if you're not billing by hours, how are we right. going to improve, um, where, where the areas of weakness right now? So. Right. Cause if you run your numbers, you know, you can, you can back into your numbers and say, okay, what size agency should I be if it's 150,000 per, you know, employee and you can run your numbers. But then when you see that there's a gap between what you're actually producing and what you should be able to produce, you, you have to have data to help you figure out where that gap is. You can't just tell people work harder, work longer. You know, you, you need to, to help them in some way. And right. numbers, numbers tell a story. They tell a story for marketing and they tell a story for a business. Yep. No, absolutely. Well, let's, uh, one of the things that I, I love asking people for help from, and you've kind of, um, already hit on like this Excel sheet that you guys have, but kind of in that vein of tools that you're using, are there any, uh, any favorite tools that either you have or that you guys use at the agency that, um, maybe are not, you know, like HubSpot, Slack, those are kind of, uh, obvious ones. Now, if those are where you're living your life, that's fine to share. But any, uh, any lesser-known tools that you guys use and love? Um, we really don't have any lesser-known tools. I will tell you the tool that is probably central, you know, le leaving out obviously the tools that support inbound marketing, but the tools that are central to the existence of a virtual agency are communication tools. Um, but they're not lesser-known. Skype and Zoom are our best friends. Um, hmm. Those have been really important communication tools. You, you can you know, we'll see, we'll see Skype chats going on. Um, and we purposely left it in Skype, not putting it in Slack. Um, cause it would just see, it was, 
it, it reduces the noise when you start looking at some of the other places. And, and um, you know, there are Skype shenanigans going on I know, I, every day, I'm sure, but it's how the team stays together. So not really lesser known, but the focus on um, communication tools has really been important for us. That's awesome. With Zoom, is that um, primarily used in client calls? Are you doing like marketing webinars or is it uh, kind of what's the scope there? All of those. So so we've done webinars. We've used Zoom to deliver webinars. Um, there, It's the primary tool for client meetings. More often for internal brainstorming, we'll use uh, Skype. Um, but if we have the entire team on and we're working on something, then we'll, Zoom just supports that process a little bit better. Right. Awesome. Well, I've got I've got one more question for you. This has not it's not completely unrelated to the agency, but it's a much much more personal question. And that's about um, kind of what makes you operate efficiently, and uh, and that is how do you get your day started well to be efficient managing a a, a twenty six person team? And um, yeah, it's basically like are there any habits? This is kind of a combination question between what is a realistic morning look like for you and what does the ideal morning look like for you um, in terms of starting your day off the right way? I start my day off with CrossFit because <laughs> that's yes. what keeps me sane. Um, but then when it comes back in the office, I actually adopted, a, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with bullet journals. Yeah. So I adopted that process um, about a year ago um, using a bullet journal and uh, combined with some of the, some of the, um, conversation that's in the book traction about rocks mm-hmm. and those two things have been are really what set up not just my day but my entire week and month and quarter um, for success because with the bullet between the bullet journal and having very clear rocks that were that I'm focused on um, I'm able to come I'm able to come in sit down at my desk and I immediately know what things to to focus on what the priorities are and I don't start my day with email um, I start my day with some, something big, uh, what's that book? Um, eat three frogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I start my day with something big that needs to get moved off before really moving into, uh, the other, you know, email, which is such a time sink. Yep. Absolutely. But I'm a huge bullet journal fan. If, if somebody hasn't looked into that, um, takes a little while to find your own process with it, but it's been, it, it's been life-changing in terms of my organization right yeah I don't think that we've had anyone mention uh we've definitely had people talk about journaling um things like the freedom journal come on I don't think that anyone has brought up uh specifically bullet journaling bullet journaling and what that looks like um so that's cool to hear and and there's a ton of resources online I know um is there a specific journal that you use for that because more of a system than a than a specific and I, I don't do it myself, but it's more of a system than a specific journal, right? Yeah, the, the, the gentleman who kind of created it did, did then create a physical journal that's all set up for you to use. I, I'm, I like things that I can fold in half. This was a hardbound journal. Um, so I have a, a notebook that looks a little different than an everyday taking notes notebook, um, and I've set it up myself in that. That is awesome. Well, Susan, we really appreciate you coming on, sharing your story, some of what is uh, is working really well for you guys right now, and um, and also some of the areas that you're looking to improve. So that was super helpful. I appreciate you coming on. If folks have 
follow-up questions or would, or would want to get in touch or follow you guys and what you're doing at PMG, where's the best place for them to do that? Well, certainly can hop on our website and see all of our social media channels if you want to connect that way. Um, or send me an email directly. It's Susan at precisionmarketinggroup.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, Susan. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I had fun. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.